morning, everybody. Again, I'm, I'm Jim Breckbuehler, and on behalf of myself and the, and the leadership here, happy Father's Day for those fathers that are here. Um, as Jordan said, a little technical difficulties this morning. I interviewed somebody. We did this about a month ago. I interviewed him, and, you know, if you can get past me interviewing and just ignore me, the content is really good. So um, I've said River Tree a million times since I was a little kid. And in the interview, if it's still there, I stumble. I'm like, river, river, river. And he has to even lean forward and go, River Tree. So, you know, it's, uh, you'll see the un unedited version. A um, couple things. We have a huge need right now in children's ministry during the second hour. And it's really easy to fill. Cindy just needs. Uh, your help or your volunteering one or two times all summer and we just need a select group to just go ahead and give our regular children's ministry volunteers a break and so if you're like hey I can do one week to help serve our children then that would be great remember uh, a while back we we used a verse and we talked about how Jesus said that when you welcome a child uh, you welcome me, and not only do you welcome me, you welcome the Father. And so children's ministry, ministering to children, is just such a huge, huge blessing. So if you want to do that, see Miss Cindy, or see Jennifer Renshaw, or Lorena Roberts. Okay, uh, at the conclusion, you will hear a song by Casey Mazzoli. It is a song that ties in beautifully with the interview. Um, and so she'll come up, really take in the words as she sings. Now, the interview itself is with Greg Nettle, and Greg is the president of Stadia, which is a church planning organization. Um, I tried to get him for the men's retreat at Round Lake and couldn't, and tried to get him to preach here this morning. He couldn't. The reason is you never know if he's going to be in Peru or Africa or California or wherever. He's on the go all the time. He, is the sen he was the senior minister at River Tree Christian Church, who we partnered with uh, probably 15 years ago to help plan a church. Uh, and he actually spoke here for the opening of the worship center uh, September 28th, 2003. So we have a long history with Greg. He's a, just a, a kind of guy that when you get done spending time with him, you want to go out and just do crazy things. And so I hope you will enjoy this. Um, he will be talking about compassion in two main areas this morning. One is those that don't know Christ yet, and we want to share the gospel with them. And then the second area of compassion is he's very passionate about children that are marginalized. And he will talk about the adoption of his own child at a much later age, even older than I was when I had my last child. So uh, he's a very inspiring guy. So with that, let's cue it up and we'll watch and see what he has to say. Well, good morning, Discover family. Uh, this morning we're continuing on our compassion series. This morning's focus will be on those that don't know Christ yet, as well as those uh, that are marginalized children, I guess if you want to put it that way. Um, we are really honored to have Greg Nettle as our guest this morning as president of Stadia, which is a global church planning organization. Greg has a God-given passion for the church and its responsibility to plant new churches. Churches specifically designed to reach out to children at physical and spiritual risk. He is an author, speaker, and consultant as an agent of change in the global church. For 25 years, Greg served as the lead minister at River Creek, River, yeah. River, Tree. River Tree Christian Church in Maslin, Ohio. During that time, the church grew from 100 to more, over 3,000. Uh, from one to four campuses, River Tree helped plant 15 churches in Ohio and 13 in Latin America. 
They sponsored over 2,000 children through Compassion International and involved more than 200 families in adoption. Greg came to Rivertree after beginning his ministry as a church planner in Dublin, Ireland. So this is kind of a natural fit that you're rolling <laughs> over to Dublin, Ohio. Exactly. Uh, Greg's got a real sense of adventure. It has taken him uh, to mountains such as Mount Kilimanjaro, Cotopaxi, and Whitney. And he's uh, done that in order to raise funds to bless children uh, on the margins of society. Greg's most important partner in life is his wife, Julie, as they lead their children, Tabitha and Elijah, to fall deeply in love with Jesus. He is the co-author of two books, one of and Disciples Who Make Disciples. He blogs regularly at gregnettle.com and tweets at Greg Nettle. Greg and Discover have a long history. Greg was the speaker at our dedication service of the worship center where you're all sitting at in September of 2003 and we partnered with River Tree and another church to help plant a church in Columbus. Our main passage for the summer is Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This verse embodies Greg. His heart and his mind are constantly set on things above. Welcome, Greg. We're blessed to have you. It's great to be with you, Jim. And Discover, it's just such a delight to be with you this weekend. Um, we do have a long history. Probably not many of you even know that, but um, I've loved your church. Um, I've been up in northern Ohio, so we've been partners in making it hard to go to hell in Ohio uh, for quite some time. It's great to be back with you again. Well, thank you. Um, Greg, you founded KSP. Uh, that organization has, counted, uh, has uh, planted over 28 churches now, Kingdom Center in each synergy partnerships and the slogan has been making it hard to go to Ohio and making it hard to go to hell in Ohio can you explain how the idea of KSP came to you and then how the slogan came to you also yeah um, the, the idea of Kingdom Synergy Partnerships I was actually in a hotel in Orlando at a conference suffering for Jesus with my wife right and uh, and at about 2 a.m., I sensed God saying, hey, um, I, I, I want to speak to you. And I know that sounds very subjective, and, but I actually got out of bed. Um, it, that was back before you know, I had an iPad or you know, a laptop or anything like that. So I had a yellow legal pad and just wrote down for the next two hours what I sensed God mm -hmm. saying to me. And then he came back and went to the River Tree Elders where I was the senior pastor and um, ran it by them, and they supported it. But the idea was, what if we got other churches like Discover, uh, and, and we partnered together to plant new churches. And uh, an organization that I didn't know a whole lot about at that time uh, called Stadia came alongside of us. And so we started planting churches. And at that time, you know, there were about six of us that would sit around the table in different parts of Ohio and strategize and dream and pray. And today, now, you know, we'll gather anywhere from 50 to 100 leaders at a pop. And we've planted 28 churches, I believe, now in the state of Ohio. And so it's been really fun to watch that vision become reality. Most people think, uh, Jim, this is fascinating, that um, you know, Ohio is middle America and you know, close to the Bible Belt. And, and the reality is, is that on any given weekend, 85% of the population of, in Ohio is not gathered in any church. 85%. And yet we probably are one of the most churched areas in the country. That's, that's how much urgency there is to this whole idea of compassion for the lost that you're talking about. So that, that um, slogan, making it hard to go to hell in Ohio, where'd that come from? Yeah, well, it, the idea was to keep people from moving to Michigan, so, you know, to stay out of hell. Um, no, it, it's, uh, it, it was just the idea that um, 
God gives us a responsibility and the opportunity to be involved in eternal difference making in people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, are they going to spend eternity with God um, or are they going to spend eternity separate from God? And I think all of us, um, you know, we have people we love, people we work with, relatives um, that we desperately want to see spend eternity with God. Mm -hmm. And, of course, God, you know, the Bible is very clear on that. God wants every person to be saved, to come into a meaningful relationship with Jesus. And so that creates this urgency for us to say, well, what can we do to actually make it hard for people to be separated from God for eternity, to make it hard to go to hell in Ohio? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, touching on that, there are just so many causes. I mean, you, there's, there's a million of them. Why is it so critical that Christians be hyper-focused on those that don't know Jesus. Well, I, you know, back to the statement I just made. The, the fact is, is that um, God is always for people. God loves all people, um, even the people that we have trouble loving. And uh, a whole lot of time, that's my my own self is the person I find most difficult to love. Um, but God loves us unconditionally and desires that relationship with us. And so, for me. Um, I have to ask the question, if God loves all of these people, then how can I best love them as well? If God wants them in a relationship, then how can I best facilitate them coming into a relationship with God? And so there's a sense of urgency. You know, there's more than 7 billion people on our planet right now. The crazy thing is uh, the growth, the population growth um, in our generation, literally in our, just, you know, in a, 80-year period has gone from 2 billion to more than 7 billion people. I mean, it's an astonishing number of people. And so you have to ask the question, okay, what responsibility do we have that's happening in our lifetime for those, those 5 billion you know, people of population growth? And, and we have all of the technology, we have the, the ability to travel, um, to communicate now like in an unprecedented way. And so I think that creates a sense of urgency. I hope it does in all of us as well to say we have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Okay. Um, what do you feel is the greatest challenge Christians both as individual and churches face today and what can we do about it? I think there's, gosh, the biggest challenge. So there's certainly there's a sense of complacency. Um, it's very easy for, for me to get caught up and I think our churches get caught up and it's kind of us against the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the posture that Jesus would prefer that we have is that it's me and you, Jim, it's Discover Church, it's not against the world, it's for the world. I mean, for God so loved the world. Um, God is for people, and therefore, um, Jim Breckbuehler, you need to be for people. Greg Nettlehead, Discover needs to be for people. And so it's easy for us to kind of insulate ourselves and to become complacent and unfortunately what I think that complacency does then that leads almost to a consumeristic mindset mm -hmm. that says oh well church is somewhere where I go to get fed um, it's someplace where I go take my children to be fed and to have great youth programs and, and there's nothing wrong with all of that that's all good right but the ultimate end game of the church was never to be this this huddle you know, if you're a football fan, I mean, or let's just go with the basketball team, you know, and, and if the basketball team only huddled, we'd go, well, who wants to watch that? Yeah. What we want to watch is the Cavs winning, right? right. We want to watch them, yeah, and we want to we, we watch them play the game and, you know, making a difference. Well, the church was designed the same way. If we just come together and huddle all the time, who, so what? Um, the, the whole point of the huddle is to get out and play the game, and the end game 
is to see as many people brought into a relationship with Christ as possible. Thank God someone cared enough about the Dublin area of Ohio, right, mm -hmm. years ago to plant a church there. Somebody took risks, did exactly that so that this church can now have enjoy this amazing bride of Christ, the, the, the local church. Sure. Alrighty. Uh, what encouragement or challenge can you give the person that struggles to share their faith? So I think that all of us have this um, innate fear of sharing our faith. It's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of we have that pushy salesman fear. Nobody wants to be involved with a, a pushy salesman. You know, we get the calls on our phone and I'm like, I just hang up, right? And um, then I block them on my caller on my cell phone now. And because none of us want that kind of involvement. And I don't want to be that to people. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, when we talk about sharing our faith, I think, you know, what I would encourage people, it, it's really just being a Jesus follower in the context where God has put you. So in your workplace, um, one of my favorites is I help coach my son's soccer team. Well, it's really easy for me to influence parents there and other children, not because I'm, you know, holding up a sign that says John 3.16, but hopefully because I'm living a sign mm -hmm. in my life mm -hmm. that says John 3.16. And as a result of that life lived as John 3.16, now, then we do have a responsibility when somebody asks, uh, you know, the Bible says we'll be ready to give an answer for the reason of the way you live. Um, and so for me, it's, I, I can't, I really find it difficult uh, uh, when people puts a target on someone. Sure. Um, but if I can love my neighbor well enough and um, ultimately I do want them to come into a meaningful relationship with Jesus because I care for them, but not because I'm, they're my project. Mm -hmm. And so as I love them, as I serve them, um, as I you know, even sometimes say, um, if you tell me you're my neighbor and you say, hey, you know what, um, I, man, I'm switching jobs, um, you know, and, and I, I, I could just say to you very simply, um, would it be okay if I prayed uh, for you as you transition through jobs? Sure. And nine times out of 10, in fact, I've never had anyone not say to me, yeah, that'd be fine for you to pray for that because nobody cares if you pray for them. Sure. And sure. it's just that conversation starter, if yeah. you will. Okay. Um, over the years, you've watched people, I'm sure, who are more effective than others lead people to Christ. What common traits do you see in the people that are most effective? Well, I think, you know, for one, um, there's a deep love for people. And so, an and understanding of the mission of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, in some uh, countries today um, where persecution exists, um, India for instance, mm -hmm. um, you're not even considered a follower of Jesus until you've led someone else to Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So there is that sense, and you know, in the United States we can become very complacent and just go, yeah, this is something I do and I'm not going to push it on anyone else. And so I think part of it is understanding the nature of the mission. It, it, being a Christian means that we do go making dis disciples. That's what the Bible teaches. We're disciple makers um, who make disciples who make disciples. But at the same time, it's people who do it out of a spirit of love, not out of a spirit of uh, aggression um, or conflict, uh, as, as some other world religions uh, would do. Um, and it's also looking at people who can build relationships. So it, it's not me, for me, it's never been, I, I've never been a fan of the guy on the street corner, you know, who's shouting fire and brimstone at people. That's between him and God. But man, that's the last thing I, in the world I want to do. Um, but at the same time, I have no problem sitting down at, you know, uh, the Cleveland Indians game and, 
if the conversation comes up, uh, I'm happy to talk about what I what I believe spiritually, and you know would even try to bring those conversations up. Um, I, I know people in marketplaces, very successful business people, um, who are able to share their faith, and as, just because of a caring atmosphere, people will say, "Hey, what's going on in your life?" And how can I pray for you? Or even, do you go to church somewhere? And, you know, why don't you come to Discover with me? That's that whole come and see approach, you know, the woman at the well. That's all that happened there um, in that story is, you know, she met Jesus. And then she went and told all of her friends in town and said, come and see this person who's amazing. And so they came. That's what they did. And so that's, that's, that's what Discover, um, you know, has that same opportunity. Just come and see what Jesus is doing. Okay. All right. That fits very well with our, our sermon series we're just completing uh, called Let's Talk, and it's all about spiritual conversations and love, uh, loving your neighbor. So. Yeah. Um, how do you and Julie personally uh, minister to families, uh, minister to your neighbors, I should say? Uh, I guess that you might be wired a little bit differently or are you wired about the same, but, but what's your personal approach and her personal approach? Um, so I think the the most important thing for us is we have to because we're involved in church world if you will mm -hmm. um you know my wife led the whole worship program at river tree for years and and i was senior pastor and my work is all still revolves around planting churches and so for us the most important thing we can do is be intentional about having relationships with people who are unchurched mm -hmm. And that can sometimes take you out of uh, your comfort zone. For us, we actually like unchurched people. So, um, you know, so that means that we're intentionally, Julie serves on the Canton Players Guild board. Mm -hmm. Well, that gives her a whole, you know, realm of relationships. Um, my wife, Julie, is great with my daughter, who's 18, uh, graduated from high school this year. Um, my, my wife is just great with Tabitha's friends, mm -hmm. really good, which gives her access into the parents of Tabitha's mm -hmm. friends. You know, so you start thinking that um, I help coach my nine-year-old son Elijah's soccer team. Mm -hmm. Well, that gives me access into to those, and many, many of those people are unchurched, far from God. And so I think it's being intentional and saying, okay, we're not just going to hold up and be with our comfort of most com who we're most comfortable with, if that's church people, but rather to say, how can we be intentional about building re relationships with people who are far from God, and with the intent of sharing our faith, because you know we. We really care about those people, so we want them to be in a relationship with Jesus. Okay. So I don't know that we have this real different strategy. Mm -hmm. I just think it's in it's more intentional. Okay, all right. Um, you're very passionate about children, especially those that are marginalized. And can you tell us a little bit? First of all, just tell us a little bit about your adoption of Elijah. I mean, when most parents are kind of slowing down you adopt a little boy and so it's a great story and it was really inspiring to me so would you just tell a little bit about that yeah let me let me start with this this whole deal because there was a point in my life where uh, children didn't matter the way they matter to God um, at all mm -hmm. and um, it, you know let's go back we're talking about reaching lost people and so um, you know one of the most important stats that's come out in the last five eight years is that 85 percent of those who make a decision to follow Jesus do so between the ages of four and 14. It's mm -hmm. called the 414 window. And um, I, it's always really fun for me um, when I'm in a church like Discover to actually just say, um, right now, I would love it for all of you, um, if you accepted Jesus, made the decision to follow Jesus between the ages of four and 14, I would love for you to raise your hand right now and raise it really high 
Now keep it up if that's you, and I want you to look around. And it's always astonishing to me um, how many people raise their hand. Mm -hmm. Now when we understand that number, then we have to ask the question, gosh, what there is this amazing importance that, that Jesus placed on children. Mm -hmm. And if the just at a pragmatic level, if most people make that decision between four and fourteen, what are the implications for the local church? Um, what are the implications for people like you and me? And so a number of years ago, um, I, I, I read a book um, uh, called Too Small to Ignore by Wes Stafford, who was the president of Compassion International. Um, our executive pastor had given it to me, and, on, and, it, and it just wrecked my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone should read it. Um, and I ended up being mentored by Wes for a number of years. Um, and would fly out to Colorado Springs where Compassion's offices were, and then traveled with Wes a number of times um, around the world, and um, saw his heart for children and why and understanding it. And God just began to just, you know, really wreck our hearts. And so River Tree went from being a church that was really focused on children as a means to an end, because I thought if we can get children to church, we'll be able to get their families. Mm -hmm. So for me, children were just a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And to transitioning to children being valuable simply because they're close to the heart of God. And that's a big shift. And so we started sponsoring children through Compassion International, you know, it's a wonderful ministry. But then that led Julie and I to say, gosh, um, what about foster care? You know, some really fascinating uh, numbers again, Jim, with the foster care system. Um, lots of kids in foster care down in your area discover, by the way. Um, and the Wall Street Journal, not too long ago, uh, released an article. Um, the United States has arguably the largest prison population in the world. It's very problematic for us in the United States, as we all know. And um, the stat that was released in this article said that 80% of those who spend time in prison, 85, 80 percent of those who spend time in prison, have spent time in our foster care system. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's, that has staggering implications because, you know, if you play that number back, and if we as followers of Jesus started caring, for instance, for kids in the foster care system, um, what would happen to our prison system? It would begin to empty, the same as our foster care system would begin to empty. And so my wife and I uh, said, well, gosh, we don't have anything else to do, so why don't we become foster parents, right? And, uh, you know, which it's not easy, and it takes time, um, and it was one of the most enriching things that we've ever done. And along the way, then we had to start asking the question, um, gosh, Who's going to adopt these kids? And decision uh, to so my daughter Tabitha uh, is 18 years old. She'll start college this fall, and uh, I also have a nine-year-old son now who we adopted uh, when he was three weeks old. Um, Elijah John, he's a beautiful little black boy, just fantastic, and um, it's been a game changer for our family. It's changed us, I'm sure, way more than it's changed him. It's been a blessing to us. People always, you know, you always get the thing, oh, he's so fortunate. And I would say, oh, no, no, we're the fortunate ones because God has absolutely shattered our heart, hearts about racial reconciliation, about caring for children at risk. And, you know, yes, I, you know I can go on for days about this, but let me just come back to one more statement, um, this idea of children on the margins. So here's, here's the statement that I believe to be true. Um, every child is at risk, and I need you to hear that. Every child is at risk. Um, there are dangers and diseases that stem from poverty, 
that we all know about, right? Um, little girl going to bed in Bolivia tonight, has a dirt floor, doesn't know if she's gonna have food to eat tomorrow, has one outfit. She's not worried about what she's gonna wear to school because she only has one outfit. She's worried about the boys across the street because she's afraid they're going to abuse her, which is a very real possibility. Um, she can't even think about Jesus because she's just trying to survive. <laughs> she's at risk. But on the other side of the spectrum, you have my daughter, for instance, Tabitha, who simply by being born in the United States of America is at risk from the dangers and diseases of prosperity. Mm. And I know it probably never happens with your kids or anything, but my kids struggle with entitlement and um, I can do it all myself. And here's the, the, the more prosperous we become, the more we start thinking that way. Mm -hmm. The, the, see, on the poverty scale, the further you are down the, in, into deeper poverty, the more at risk you are because you, you just are trying to survive. The danger on the other end of the spectrum is the more we live the American dream, and it's all good, there's, there's antidotes to this, but the further we get on the prosperity side, um, the more spiritually at risk because we start thinking, I don't really need God. I've done this all on myself. Proverbs 30, it's amazing. Uh, years ago, the, the author of Proverbs just said, don't give me too little because I might steal and embarrass God's name. And then he turns around and he says, and don't give me too much because I might forget about God if I have too much. Just give me enough. Well, how, how do we you know, help these children be less at risk? And I, I think one of the ways is you know, with our daughter, for instance, you know, we've exposed her and helped her be aware of children living in poverty. Uh, of children, you know, in need, and as a result, um, uh, I, I love, you know. So my daughter has all the normal struggles every eighteen-year-old has, and she's a wonderful girl. But one of the things that I love that she does is she sponsors a child on her own through Compassion International, mm -hmm. and so that helped move Tabitha to become less at spiritual risk. She moved towards the middle. It also this little girl, this little six-year-old girl living in Bolivia that she sponsored, Gazelle now moves up the spectrum and she becomes less at spiritual risk because now she's being fed every week she's in a local church she's getting an education she has medical care because a 14 month tabitha sponsored gazelle when she was 14. Mm. and so it helps both of those and by the way when gazelle was eight years old she gave her life to jesus oh. and you know so th th that's so i think there are antidotes to this to this to helping you know this passion that's why i'm so passionate about children sure the, the parents that are you know sitting or people that don't have kids yet and they're sitting there going man maybe I'm being called to adopt um, but boy that seems scary you know what encouragement could you give them yeah I think the first thing is to just flat out admit it is scary um, you know it just yeah. is yeah. but so is having your own kid right, right. and um, and and so but there is an unknown sense because biologically they're not genetically your child um, so the, the encouragement that, that I would give you is that Parenting is difficult no matter what. Um, so it's going to be difficult if you adopt. That's a natural part of parenting. Now, um, there are also things, though, that you're going to learn as you take the adoption classes. I would say, you know, get involved in some type of adoption ministry. There are adoption ministries all over the state. Christian Children's Home of Ohio, who's a friend of, uh, I know, Discovers as yeah. well, um, is who my wife and I adopted through. Fantastic ministry, and, and we took all of our classes there. And we just it just had made a call to them the other day, asking some questions, you know, and uh, it was really helpful. So I would say um, I always love it when you know as River Tree more and more people started adopting both domestically and internationally. 
it created the support system mm -hmm. within the church. So what you really want and discover is like, you know, we need like 10 families this weekend to like go ahead and say, we're, we're in, we're going to adopt, mm -hmm. and then do it together. And it's a really cool, you know, um, and I'm just kidding. But wouldn't that be, it, it is when you create that kind of community sure. and a part of that, it's, it's really helpful. And so I would say don't let the fear, you know, keep you away from it, but also recognize that it's okay to be afraid because it's it should be a scary thing. Sure. Bring any new person into your house sure. is a fairly risky risky thing. Okay. But I'm, I'm sorry, I just I, here's here's the deal. Um, if you were to ask my 18-year-old daughter, this is the beauty of it. Um, what's probably one of the most important things mom Julie and I have ever done for her spiritual development. I think she would, if she were sitting here, she would say it was in adopting Elijah. Hmm. And um, I watch her interact with her little brother now, and it is an absolutely beautiful thing. And that would not have happened, you know. And so, just to encourage you, um, and you know, I, you know, I'm 54 years old. I have a nine-year-old son at home. When most all of my friends' kids are graduated yeah. and gone, and um, we just decided, you know, our time on Earth is short, and we want to make any difference we can. So I would say, you know, go for it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the importance of parents in the, their role in the spiritual development of children? And then also, how do you pass on that passion for bringing others to Christ in your children? Um, so there's no question. Every study shows that in the spiritual development of a child, um, the parents have the greatest impact, mm -hmm. period. Um, and, you know, my personal philosophy and, and leading churches is that it's not the church's responsibility to raise, to spiritually develop my children. I actually think, um, you know, I, I'm sure you have amazing staff and volunteers at Discover working in children's ministry. It's, you know, perhaps the most important ministry in your church. At the end of the day, the job of that staff is really, I think, to help us as parents spiritually develop yeah. our children. Mm -hmm. um, and to pass on our faith. And so I think what most parents don't do, I was walking with a missionary in Africa, this was years ago. They were getting ready to have children. And he asked me, he said, so what do you do to intentionally disciple your children? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and at that time, um, my daughter, we hadn't adopted Elijah yet. My daughter was probably four years old and we weren't doing anything. I hadn't even really thought about it. What's my intentional responsibility? And over the years now, um, when Tabs finished her eighth grade year of school, um, we sat down and did an intentional spiritual development program. <coughs> so what, what experiences do we want Tabs to have? Um, what, uh, what books could I read with her? Um, wanted to read through the Bible with her. Um, wanted to take her on a missions trip with me and uh, wanted to serve with her in you know the downtown Canton area yeah. um, and just going okay year after year because for my daughter's a dancer well we were very intentional about having her in the right dance classes all these years mm -hmm. right very intentional and you're thinking about your kids maybe going to college or career and you're very intentional about all that development why wouldn't we be just as intentional or more intentional about our, the spiritual development of our children mm -hmm. and so I think it's just having those conversations and saying um, are there some scripture Bible verses we want to memorize with our, our young children, mm -hmm. especially? Because once that's hidden their heart at a young age, it's always there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you have amazing children's people that could help parents, you know, find those Bible verses if they can't find them on their own. Okay. All right. Um, kids learn by watching. What have uh, Tabitha 
and Elijah's seen you guys do as far as the use of your home, uh, your cars, that type of thing. Uh, you mentioned uh, soccer, coaching your soccer, son's yeah. soccer team. I think the modeling <laughs> idea and passing, teaching your kids a passion for the lost, you know, it's, um, again, if Tabitha were here, I think what she would tell you, the reason that she sponsors a child is because she saw my wife and I sponsoring children mm -hmm. and our passion and love for children. And so it was very natural for her. She traveled with us uh, to Peru and uh, to Ecuador and met these children. And so it was very natural for her then, having had that experience in her life, to develop a passion for children at risk mm -hmm. as, as well. Um, one of my favorite stories, um, is um, when, when I transitioned from River Tree, senior pastor after 25 years, to working full-time with Stadia, um, the church wanted to give me a gift and uh, for 25 years of ministry there. And, you know, that's a, a pretty nice thing. And they had some, you know, they were offering, you know, like, do you want a big vacation? Do you want a Harley-Davidson? You know, and I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's good. And, um, but I was actually down in Bolivia, and I called my wife. I was visiting some of our church plants down there and children, and I said, okay, I want a, I want a going away gift um, from River Tree. I said, I want them to plant a church. Um, and, you know, a church plant was, was $80,000, and so it was a lot of money. And I came back, and I told the elders, I said, I want a present. I said, um, I, want, I want a church plant. And... Um, they said, well, great, how much is it? And I said, well, it's $87,000. And they said, oh, okay, it's a lot of money. And um, here's the great part of that story. Uh, the church ended up giving us $160,000 um, as a going away gift. So we got a church plant, a Harley, and a trip around the world. That's not true. We planted two churches. Wow. We planted two churches. Now, I'm not saying that um, to go, oh, look at us. That was what River Tree did, and that's the generosity of those people. Mm -hmm. Here's why that matters to our children. In that same time, my daughter, um, gosh, who was 14 at that time, um, I came up on my desk, with, I have home office, and on my laptop computer keyboard, there was an envelope, um, and on top, it said, for God's churches, was written in her handwriting, and so I opened it, and there was um, about $147 in that envelope in cash, and it was all the money that my daughter had, had saved from babysitting and, you know, all of her wow. chores, I mean, all of it. and. Um, and it was she was giving it to those churches that were going to be you know planted and um the first thought that was ran through my head was this really interesting thought was oh tabs don't give all your money away that was a really strange thing and then it, the second thing that ran through my mind was oh tabitha um you're you're investing in something that is close to your dad's heart mm -hmm. and i and i and i want you to know that um anything i can give you that's good for you you just have to ask yeah and I want to entrust you with so much more tabs because you've invested in something close to God's, to, to your dad's heart, my heart. And then um, the very next thought was, this is all about what God's trying to teach me as well. That that's how God feels when we invest in things that are close to his heart. He looks at us the same way and, um, and says, oh, Jim, you've invested in something, you've cared for children that are close to my heart. You're planting churches. You're sharing your faith. Um, and I just want you to know, Jim, that as you do that, um, I'm your dad, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. And ask what you want, and if it's good for you, I'm going to do everything I can to just get it in back into you. I'm going to entrust you with even more. So I think about that modeling for our kids and how important it is for them to see us living out an authentic life of faith. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean I have to beat them over the head with the Bible, you know, and stuff. We have to teach them scripture. Sure. But more importantly, it means I have to model what it means to follow Jesus. Sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs>
I know church planning is uh, near and dear to your heart. And uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your role with Stadia? Yeah. And then as people have been listening in this morning, you know, how can they uh, get involved with Stadia? Yeah. So um, Stadia plants churches throughout the United States and around the world. Um, I guess this year in 2017, we're going to plant somewhere between 100 and 120 new churches. You know, it's always kind of a fluctuating uh, number. Uh, 35 of those churches will be in the United States. Um, one of the things I love is 15 churches will be planted in the urban poor centers of the United States, so downtowns of cities, which I absolutely love. And many others will be just like the plants we've been talking about, uh, planted in Columbus, and we've got a new one opening in Toledo I just heard about, yeah. and very excited about that, and one in Findlay and Cincinnati, so a lot of fun stuff like that. Um, but we're also planting now in partnership with Compassion International throughout Latin America, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also planting in South, Southeast Asia now, in Thailand, um, in uh, Dominican Republic, so lots of really fun fun things going on. What most people don't know is the single most effective way of reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ is through new church planting. Hmm. Period. It just is. Yep. There's a fire, there's a vibrancy. We get into areas where no churches exist. Mm -hmm. um, and then what we've done at Stadia is we've combined that with the 414 window we talked about. Mm -hmm. And so we said, what if we plant new churches and every new church is required to have an intentional plan for how they're going to care for children in their community? And what we've watched over the years as a result is this explosive growth of these new church mm -hmm. plants. And again, I think it's because we're caring about those who are very close to the heart of God. God cares about all, all people. Sure. But children are the least of these, if you will. They're the most vulnerable. Jesus said, let them come to me. And so if we plant churches that really do care for children, um, we've seen exponential church growth. Mm -hmm. And so if people want to get involved, you can go online at www.stadia.cc. Um, stadia.cc. Mm -hmm. Lots of information there. You can contact me from there. Um, Jimmy Miato and I just co-authored a new book. Jimmy's the president of Compassion International mm -hmm. now. Um, it's called Small Matters. You can get that at Amazon online as well. Okay. So it might be a way to... All, a lot of what I've talked about this weekend is in, in that book. Yeah. It was interesting to hear today just uh, a little bit about the church plants up in Cleveland. <clears throat> I remember when we were first working with KSB I think there were, there were no churches of Christ right. Christian churches up there, and now there's eight campuses up yeah. there now, and that yeah. hasn't been, what, more than eight, eight to ten years. Yeah. Now. And so that's really exciting. Well, my daughter Tabitha is going to the Cleveland <laughs> Institute of Art uh, mm -hmm. this fall. And, you know, so as a dad, you know how thankful I am that we have a thriving church there uh, just minutes from her camp college campus now. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm already sicking that pastor on her and saying, hey, I want you to go, <laughs> yeah. go get my daughter. Yeah. Well, hey, it's been a real pleasure to have to talk with oh, you. Oh, thanks and, so much, Jim. Uh, we're really blessed by our long friendship with yeah. uh, your church at River Tree, and um, so I just appreciate your heart and just what you shared with our people today. So thank Great. you very much. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Discover. Okay. Help me to love with open arms like you.
time in our, in our service where we turn to the table of the Lord in communion. And in 1 John 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And that song there, the wonder of your never-ending love, that my life would tell everyone around me that you are such a good father. You know, I asked the middle school students this morning, how do we know that God loves us? And it seems like a pretty simple answer if we've, if we've been here, you know. We know that Christ loves us because he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could live. And what an incredible promise that we might be called children, not slaves, not just a being, not angels, not whatever, whatever this earth offers, that we might be called children of God. As the, as the bread and the cup are passed, uh, we ask that you would take those uh, as, as they go by in remembrance of the sacrifice uh, and the price that was paid on the cross for our sins. 
God, we are so grateful for who you are and, and what you're doing, what you have done, and what you will do. God, we thank you that you are such a good father. God, help us to love, love the ones who need it with the love uh, that, that can only be received uh, by such a good father. God, we pray that all of our lives, uh, all of our lives would tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's through adoption, through uh, church planting, uh, through loving the people around us. God, I pray that all of our lives would tell of who you are. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for this sacrifice so that we can sit here and talk about this today. Thank you for your love, and we pray this in your name. Amen.